nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Boridar Pal, Chrysoy Abitawi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea, uh, the Twilight Show on Teachers Talk Radio. And tonight, we're talking what makes a team work with Sam Crow, deputy head teacher and blogger of pocketwisdom.blog. Lead, follow, or get out the way. Join us, tune in, talk it out. Off we go. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And Boradar Pal, Kroisoi Abatawi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea. Uh, it is cold. Every t- every time I start the show by telling you what it's like, the weather here in Swansea, normally it's raining. The past two shows, it has been cold, bitterly cold. I cannot, you know, a cold that I, as a, a you know, a, a soft southern Englishman, I, I cannot talk about being on the coast here in South Wales. You know, it's it's cold it's cold um tonight we are joined by sam chrome he's a deputy head teacher um from surrey he's a blogger he's been looking at the research behind high performing teams and i think sam is with us now sam are you there i'm here nathan can you hear me yep you are coming through loud and clear welcome to uh teachers talk radio thank you for having me on really really nice to be here yeah, fantastic. Um, so um, I, I gave a little bit of an intro there. I, you know, I talked about the blog, which is how I came across you. But why don't you set the scene for the listeners? Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you currently do, uh, and maybe a little bit about your career journey up to this point. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, um, I'm, a, I'm a deputy head teacher of a secondary school in, in Surrey. So a soft southerner like you as well, Nathan. Um, and I have been uh, in my current role for, this is my second year of being a deputy head, um, and I mainly work with pastoral area of the school at the moment, as well as things on staff, well-being, and that sort of thing as well. Um, I'm really loving being a coach, so I, I coach kind of outside of school. Um, lots of people that I, I've met kind of from Twitter online, um, and some, some people uh, as well from from my school so I coach them and, and coaching has been a really really important part of my career so far um uh, so that's kind of the other strand of what I do as well and um yeah I've, I've been teaching for um it's kind of my 11th year and okay. I was definitely I was a reluctant a reluctant person entering into the teaching profession to begin with um it wasn't wasn't something that I was kind of sold on straight away and I was actually working at the British Museum after university um which was really, really great, really fascinating place to work. And um, I was uh, dating my girlfriend, um, then later became my wife. And uh, she worked at this amazing school in Surrey and would come home and tell me, she's an NQT then, and she'd tell me what it was like working in a school. And I, I was like, no, no, I, I went to school. <laughs> and that's definitely not what school is like. And um, she... I was always always amazed the way she would describe kind of the way that they did lots of CPD and commitment to learning and the atmosphere of the school. So I decided to go in and, and observe. 
and observed a bunch of English lessons and um, just really caught the bug. And I um, signed up to do my teacher training that, that following year um, and just haven't really looked back since. And um, just really I've loved my journey so far and, and, and being in education. Fantastic. A a brilliant introduction. They're really interesting. I love hearing about how people kind of get into teaching, where it all starts and and all of those bits. I will say to anyone listening in the studio, you can, of course, text in, you can message us. We are live. So if you have any questions or want to join the conversation, you can do that live here at Teachers Talk Radio. Um, It is what we are all about. So please do take advantage of it and and throw some questions in there. Um, Now, I mentioned a little bit about the blog as well. Mm. Uh, The blogging uh, for me it's not something I've ever done it's something that I'm always really interested in in well you know why how do you find the time what was it that 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 started you blogging well it was actually about three years ago my first blog project at my previous school um a fellow a colleague of mine um called Rachel we'd had this well-being CPD from an external provider and to be honest it wasn't it wasn't particularly great and um, we were kind of talking in her classroom afterwards and saying, oh, there must be another way to kind of manage well-being. There must be another way to promote well-being in schools. Um, and we decided to do a research project. So the aim of that was to find some real evidence-informed ways, in not just in schools, but in any workplace, of what makes people feel truly good and thriving when they're working. And we, we decided to, to record that via a blog, um, which was really, really uh, interesting at the time and um lots of people engaged with it and that was great and we kind of that culminated in us writing an article for um impact from the charter college um which again was was a lot of fun um and then we kind of completed our research project and i moved schools and then for the last kind of year or so i've been blogging mainly about book book kind of reviews book reflections and that came from I read a lot of books. I'm an English teacher, so I read a lot of fiction, but I also read a lot of non-fiction, a lot of books about leadership and teaching and learning and memory and performance. And I was getting really fed up because I was, I like recommending books. I think we all probably do when we, you know, when we find a book we love. And I was, you know, when you have that conversation with someone and you say, oh, you should really read this book because it's about dot, dot, dot. And then they press you a bit further and you just can't remember any of the specifics. Um, and you feel like, oh, did I, did I even read that book properly? or understand what was going on in the book um so i was really frustrated with myself so i decided right i'm going to start doing a short blog post on every book that i read with the key takeaways and my favorite moments just so that well people might find it interesting and they might go and buy that book as, as a result of it but every time i do some sort of i don't know if i'm leading training or i'm leading a team meeting uh, and i want to recommend something about this book i've then got something tangible i can dip back into um so it started like that really um, and I've done kind of, I don't know, somewhere between 40 and 50 book reflections now. And um, I've just started adding in sort of leadership kind of type blogs along the way. And then that finally culminated in the in the Teams project that I'm working on at the moment. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's worth saying to anyone who hasn't looked there, it's... Um, pocketwisdom.blog is 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 the address of it but you know when when we're talking a little later i did introduce and say you've been looking at the research behind high performing schools these are not uh, you know when i look at them they're not uh, you know kind of uh just thoughts that you know there these are dense with quotes and research and you you know um, bibliographies you've you know you you've really put some time into to thinking about this was that deliberate you wanted to invest time in it 
Absolutely. And actually, I've completely contradicted the original aim of the initial blog because it was <laughs> I called it pocket wisdom because I was doing very short, concise book reviews that I thought would, uh, you know, maybe provoke people to go and buy, buy that book. Um, and that was the initial reason for writing the blog and, and calling it pocket wisdom. It was supposed to be that was the whole point. It was concise and quick to read. And then I started this new blog project, which, is, as you said, is very dense. Um, no, but that, that was the aim. It was the aim for this project. I think um, I, I've led teams and I lead teams now, and I never felt like I was really given sort of training in about how do you how do you lead a team, any team, successfully? What, what do you have to consider about the team dynamics, um, the way to create the team to begin with, how you your team should learn together, how it should communicate. Um, all of my steering for teams was very much school-specific based. So, oh, you're ahead of English, so in your team you need to uh, write schemes of work and delegate schemes of work and make sure that there's good progress being made and that's how you lead a team. And it was all very uh, context-specific, but I never really felt like I understood how, how do groups of people work successfully together just on, a, on the most basic level. So that's, that, was my, that was my kind of rationale. Um, and... I kind of uh, I chat quite regularly to Jade Pierce, who you probably know is um, uh, blogger and and um, uh, general thinker, and she was kind of encouraging about you know I said oh should I just go and find all the all the kind of possible research on this and she was she's really was really encouraging of that um, and I just started delving in and the more I found there was so much compelling research mainly academic research about teams and groups that I thought well. I don't want to sell this short now and not represent all of the amazing kind of knowledge that I've, I've unpicked. So um, yeah, the blogs, the blogs are definitely longer and a, and a bit more researched and, and referenced than I initially thought they would be. But I, I wanted to do justice to all the amazing work that had gone before from, from a lot of really credible psychologists and sociologists and, and, and other people who've done some, some really amazing work on teams. Um, and that kind of takes me on to my next um, question about, you know, there are, there are different approaches to, to leadership, different approaches mm. to teamwork, many, many books, because what you, you know, when we talk about education, we're talking about, you know, a couple of bookshelves in, in Waterstones, when, mm. when you, you know, broaden it to teamwork in general, you, um, you know, I, as I say, I've read some of my favorite books or what, you know, like the All Blacks book, mm. um, the, um, see this is where i'm terrible for books because like i should write it down the one about the the ship's captain um who uh, had a boat oh i can't even remember but you know they were ones by rugby teams they're ones by mm. um you know people with nuclear submarines um you know are we in education are we talking about it enough are we talking about it too much where do you think we are with it yeah it's interesting that i've, I've i mean most of the books i read are about um, kind of organizational culture, leadership, teams. I've read Legacy, which you mentioned about the All Blacks, and that's a really fantastic book. Um, and I, I find a lot of them are very, very engaging. Always got some like, wonderful anecdotes that are really easy to kind of regale, you know, after, time after time. You've always got kind of our favorite anecdote, you know, sweep the sheds um, mm -hmm. from, um, from, from Legacy about the All Blacks and all that kind of thing. Um, so I think there's lots of, there's lots of really good work on, on this area. I still read those books and, and found that they were very context specific, um, and you know the some of the mantras of the All Blacks are really entertaining and, and, and fascinating, but they don't necessarily encompass 
um, or turn the ship around. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> someone's tweeted in <laughs> messages in there. Turn the ship around. That's the one. That's actually um, on my very lengthy wish list. So, <laughs> oh, it's really good. It's but as you say, you know, it, it's about uh, someone who is in charge of a nuclear submarine, mm. which you know, again, um, and that that would be another question about it because as I say, both of those books there, I I didn't get the impression that they were necessarily research informed. You know, I'm sure that those people had thought about it. And that was kind of going to be my next lead on from that was um, th there must be a, a gap between some of the things you're looking at where it's someone who's done something and it works. And so they're saying we should do it that way. And actual research, research. Yeah, definitely. And, and like I said earlier, as, as compelling as those anecdotal examples are, and they obviously shift a lot of copies, sometimes that's quite hard to then emulate that in another setting. Um, yeah, you're exactly right. We don't all captain a nuclear submarine, do we? So um, the pressures of that environment are very different. Um, and I found the same as reading other sports books as well, that you can't quite capture that same um, atmosphere and pressure. Um, so you're right. that A lot of those books I felt lacked um, more studies. And then when you read other books like The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle, which is fantastic, that's probably my favourite book on, on organisational culture and management and, and leadership. Um, or um, Think Again by Adam Grant. There's lots of anecdotes in there about specific work contexts, but there's also uh, tons and tons of research and studies as well, um, which, again, that, that kind of lit some fires for me. So I, I'm trying now to, for, the, for my readers, try to bridge the gap between interesting anecdotal teams research and then um, academic research. So um, I've been digging into a lot of stuff from the American Psychological Association and other journals like that to find, you know, for example, I just read some research recently about how many people were in the ideal team. And this kind of meta-analysis showed that the ideal team that functions really healthily and thrives usually has between six and 10 people in. And that was backed up by a whole body of research through lots of different um, institutions and sectors and um, that sort of thing. Um, and even, even that, it's just like one small example of something that maybe those books didn't explore in the same way. They talked more about these big gestures or that sort of thing. So um, there's plenty out there. There's so much research to read, and I keep coming across more and more, um, which which is why my initial – I think I, I aimed for six blog posts originally for this project, and it, I've already done uh, four, and I've got at least another, another six to eight kind of planned just because, I, again, I don't feel like I can ignore the amount of research that's out there um, – to, to help people try and, and you know lead teams really really effectively we'll, we'll hold fire because i do want to ask you at the end what the, <laughs> the next one is i do you know i've read the four so far i want to kind of leave us at the end of the show you know kind of going okay what, what's the next one that's coming so just hold fire on those okay. spoilers just for now <laughs> um the the other bit i wanted to get into then is how much training are people are you know in school settings then get really getting in leadership because you know certainly i've you know i've done my mpqh i've um done other middle leader training on my way you know i've done all of those things but really interesting when you talk in your first post about what is a team mm. um you talk about us being in different teams and i reflected on that and thought actually even as a class teacher we used to talk about you know being in the year one team or being in the early years team, mm, or being in the mm. key stage two team, and that was really in my first, um, you know, my first years of teaching. And actually, I was expected to lead teaching assistants. Mm. So, what is your experience of, um, 
you know the the training that pe- the teachers are getting in in leading a team i guess but also maybe do we need training in being a good team member as well should mm. that be um, on our training mm. it's really hard isn't it because we're so time poor um in 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 the education world and um i know there's been a lot written in the last couple of years from lots of experienced head teachers and leaders about um generic knowledge and generic training versus domain specific knowledge and domain specific training Um, and that's a really difficult balance to get right I think isn't it in terms of um, I remember I mean I'm I'm, I've just started the new MPQH which looks great Um, but I remember people debating the MPQH over the last 10 or 15 years some people saying it had focused too much on generic um, kind of leadership qualities and not enough on domain specific and lots of people debate that now so I think that's the first. That's the first challenge, isn't it? Is I, I, I will tell you that I, you know I did. Mine was just over two years ago mm-hmm. that I remember being stood in a room at the Holiday Inn, um, in, in, where where I was at the time, and we had to do a presentation on dealing with um, leading uh, where, where dealing with uncertainty, mm-hmm. and it was about um, th- that we were talking uh, just before coronavirus was a thing. Right. And then I spent the next two years leading and dealing with incredible uncertainty. And I look back mm-hmm. at that now and go, really, did our, you know, it's such a hard thing to capture sometimes, some of the things we're going through. Absolutely. And if you're thinking, right, I'm going to plan out a course for my middle leaders or my senior leaders, um, you want to make the you want to make every second count because they've had a busy day and they've got loads of other things to attend to. So the time you have with them, you want to be as... Um, as it's precious time, so you want it to be really, really efficient. So then as a course designer and a course leader, you're thinking, right, so how much do I have to teach them about this? How much do I have to teach them about this? Um, if we do a whole session on generic leadership and generic team leadership, then does that mean we have less time to talk about how you have a uh, difficult conversation about a set of data or some other specific thing that they might want to cover in their course? Um, so I think it's a really difficult tension, isn't it? And um, so, so even the stuff that I'm doing at the moment about teams, I'm trying to make it focus back in into schools. Um, but there's a lot of generic science behind high-performing teams. So, how the question is, how much would you be willing to sit through that more generic-natured work as a as a as someone a delegate on the course or a course leader? Um, and that, I find that the tricky balance. If you see what I mean. Yeah, and I wanted to kind of ask you as well, you know, you've mentioned it there about these generic skills. Um, and, uh, you know, when we talk about through some of the blog posts as well, we'll talk about, you know, what what different teams we're in. But do you see, you know, good teamwork as a generic skill? Is Are there elements that can be generic? Or, you know, is it more, like we've described with some of those books, like the All Blacks and like the Turn the Ship Around, is it a, you know, would those guys be a good school leader? Is it a generic skill? Or, you know, do, do we need to look more specifically at it uh, for what we're doing? Mm. Yeah, I think, yeah, and it was really um, relevant to mention, yeah, the, the teams within the team kind of phrase. Um, and you talking about you're being, you're a member of this team, you're a member of the year one team, you might be a member of the literacy team. And every team has its own uh, purpose and goals and um, tasks and dynamic as well. Um, so there are some there are some team qualities that I think are generic, like um, having an open, 
candid culture where where we're all we're all learning how to give each other feedback in a really open constructive way and we've got real kind of um embedded psychological safety in the team and then there are other things that are very specific processes to your to your team so if i i lead the heads of year at my school um we we are often talking about things that are very different and working on very different things than the heads of the department team so what makes a good member of my team apart from the generic things like you know being agreeable and, and kind of having some open dialogue with, within psychological safety but my my team members might need different specific skills to the heads of department um for their you know specific tasks and projects they work on um and that, that's what that's why I think there's, there's the one single answer to that question it's uh it's finding the balance so you kind of you keep working developing and doing team interventions for the specific nature of your of your role but also i think we also have a duty to to sort of train people in a generic sense as well so they're building good transferable team skills as well and the, uh, my last one because you know i wanted to get all of these out of the way before we delve into things we will pop to the ads in a second and don't forget if you are listening and you want to help me out with my poor memory of book titles um like some of our <laughs> listeners have you can text them in or if you have a question you can text us in live um but um so we've talked a little about the, those those um teamwork skills and i and maybe this is telling of my you know my uh, some legacy of my 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 training mm. but i i keep thinking about leadership and and you keep talking about being a good team member mm. um uh, is that a deliberate you know you you talk about um thriving teams you don't talk about um you know being a good leader being a good manager was that a deliberate choice in the work you were doing yeah definitely i think um yeah so it's a really good question as well and it's something i thought about quite a lot so I didn't want to, um, I think leadership opens up so many other avenues and so many strands, doesn't it? And there's so many facets of, of leading. Um, and, you know, so that could encompass so many other things, such as having um, your own particular vision or time management or, or you know, work-life balance, all that kind of stuff. Um, whereas I really wanted to hone in on how does a, a, a really healthy team operate? And obviously the leadership is a really important part of that. And I kind of address... I sort of address the the posts to the leaders of the team, um, but equally, my my view is that all members of the team should also have a really really good understanding and clarity about what makes a good team member and a, and a healthy team, because um, your appreciation of that helps you to function more ably within that team. I think um, so. It's not just about leadership; it's about how everyone performs together um, in the team and understands the team, and also just just kind of. Um, helping people understand that they will probably be a team leader one day so the more experience you have of working together in a really healthy team the more likely it is that you'll, you'll lead one um even well even if you don't lead one at the moment um but yeah it's definitely on my mind to distinguish it as a how do we work together as a team rather than how do we just lead um because that hopefully it kind of empowers everyone to think about the, the process and not just the one person at the top if you like yeah, no, I felt it was really, you know, it's not something that I'd noticed about myself before. And, and I really liked that, that it was, you know, because I, I, I talk a lot about agency, I talk a lot about empowerment. And, and then in the same breath, I sometimes think from a leadership perspective that, you know, it's the, the leader's responsibility to, but actually everyone brings or should be bringing something to the team for it to work. Absolutely. And also, I think, being part of a team is not just about fulfilling the tasks of the team. It's about 
growing and developing. So um, I want every member of the team to constantly be be growing in their work within the team. And I don't think you necessarily do that just by performing the team's core tasks. It's being involved in the discussions about what makes it a productive team. It's evaluating the team's work together um, as a group that I think helps people grow as leaders themselves. And um, yeah, that, that, as I said earlier, that's why I didn't kind of pitch it just as at the team leaders fantastic right we are going to pop to an ad break because i you know have to get lights on here at uh, tt radio towers and um, when we come back we're going to talk through some of the posts so far and a little bit about what is um what is a team a little bit about um you know the purpose and goals really i'm really interested in the one uh the 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 blog post you did about psychological safety mm. um and then obviously the latest one about team br- debriefs which we'll do at the end i run not no, I don't think that is ironically, is it? That's actually no. <laughs> whatever the opposite of irony is. Um, that's, you know, purposefully we, we would debrief at the end. So um, we will see you all on the other side of this short ad break. Let's see you in a minute, guys. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. 
Boradar Pab, Kroisoi Abatawi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea. You have found us here on The Twilight Show with me, uh, Nathan Ginn, on Teachers Talk Radio. I'm talking with Sam Crome, uh, Deputy Head Teacher, uh, Secondary School in Surrey. He's a blogger, uh, Pocket Wisdom dot blog uh, where he's looking at uh, research behind high performing teams uh welcome back Sam. hi welcome back indeed yeah great to be here still um just managed to dash and get a quick drink there <laughs> yeah fantastic well that is exactly why we have the you know the ad breaks there'll be a little bit late longer one a little bit later on where we have our uh, tech update as well um which is brilliant uh, so we'll have the news the ads and a little tech upbreak in about half an hour guys so if you're listening in stay with us you've only got half an hour before our next break um but if you are listening in live you can always uh, text us uh, you can call in with questions of course it is teachers talk radio and we are live for a reason so that you can tune in and talk it out and we've already had some messages in the chat which is fabulous now um sam mm-hmm. where i wanted to start off is talking about what is a team and um you do a really good job in your first post there of um talking about the difference between just working together people working in a group uh you know together and what a team is so what is your definition then of a team how do you see it yeah that's a really interesting question and that's uh, that was kind of pulling on a bit of a thread when i was looking through lots of research and different definitions about um what a team actually is so um a lot of the kind of social scientists distinguish between what's a working group and what's a team. Now, I think in education, we don't really get too bogged down with that. We kind of, um, if we're working with a group of people, we're a part of a department or a team, aren't we? We don't really kind of make a distinction between the two things. But um, working groups tend to be defined more about lots of people doing individual work for an overall kind of um, an overall product. Um, and that might look like it was part of a team effort, but there's lots of individual work going on um, and there, there's not much, you know, encounter between them. Whereas um, teamwork and being part of a team is more generally defined as people working together for the overall product and having joint contributions uh, as well. One really nice short definition is um, the integration of individuals' efforts towards a shared goal. Um, so I really like that, the integration, the coming together. Um, and there are so many more interesting interesting definitions uh, as well. So some of the research I read talked about there being kind of five sort of key features of, of teams, um, such as having a common purpose um, that the team helps shape. So they're not just told it, they shape it. And that comes back to teams versus leaders again. Um, having a mix of complementary skills, and that's a really important one, not having homogenous teams. Um, and uh, Matthew Side talks about that really well in Rebel Ideas. Um, and other things as well, uh, everyone having a strong commitment towards the work getting done, mutual accountability, specific performance goals. So I think working groups could probably exist without a lot of those things being there because everyone's working on something individually, whereas a, whereas a true team who are working together on the products together and will be for a, for a specific reason and time they need some of those other those other features to to really thrive as a a group um and there was a really great quote i I heard on a podcast recently um i'll just try and remember what it was it was a it really made me think um but it was about how teaming is like a constant act it's in the blog but i forget what it was now but it's teaming is a constant act of selflessness um and that you have to constantly put others in your team before yourself to make sure the team works 
And again, I don't think a working group where there are lots of individual work products would necessarily need that selflessness to succeed. Um, sorry, I was looking down at it then for a second. I've got it in front of me. So I was just checking <laughs> to see if I could find it um, in, in all the highlighting that I've done of, of the blog post. Now, um, we've had a, a text in, which is lovely. And this, Sam, I will prepare you. This is where, you know, Teachers Talk Radio Live. Uh, and I, I will let the listeners behind the curtain slightly, you know, like the, the Wizard of Oz. I do prime people a little bit with the guests in order. And we, we normally get about this far, Sam, before we start getting questions and things. And we have had a question in uh, from a listener. Um, and, and they're saying, would you say building trust is a key factor in developing effective teams? Definitely. And the, I guess if you look at, well, I know we'll talk about later on, we'll talk about the psychological safety um, aspect. Um, and trust is a, is a big part of that. And interestingly, trust is something that's, um, I, I suppose it's easy to think of trust as being, well, if, I, if I'm warm and I'm friendly and I'm approachable and I support you emotionally, then maybe you'll trust me. But um, there's lots of good kind of thoughts out there as well that trust is also people trust you when you're competent and people trust you when you use their time productively. Um, so I think trust is absolutely key, a bit like psychological safety, but it's also one in lots of different ways. So you earn trust through um, not just platitudes and being nice, but also from, from being a really competent, effective leader of the team as well, where everyone can see that what you're doing is really effective for the group. So, but yeah, I completely agree with that. And um, I don't, don't think a team's going to pull in the same direction for very long if they don't trust each other um, to, to help out with those those acts of selflessness that we, we just mentioned. Um, and it, and I wonder, because, you know, my, my background somewhat was in outdoor education and very mm. early on uh, in that, we, we used to have uh, large companies come to us and do team building Mm. activities you know that you would get this the ceo and the secretary and they would be doing trust fools and, <laughs> and these kind of things um as far as building trust is that something you can force would you think or is is that all very passe now that the kind of idea that we would go away for a week weekend and, and build our team is it something that has to be done kind of on the job day in day out yeah, I think that's like the staff well-being equivalent of doing biscuits at break time and yoga after school, isn't it? It's that that on its own is not is not going to make it's not going to improve well-being. A bit like a an isolated um, team building exercise or or afternoon won't build trust in the team um, either. Um, they they might be something nice that contributes to that over over time, but it's it's definitely not um, it's not a solution in itself, is it? Um, and I think uh, the trust is built by people seeing that. The other members of the team are committed to the cause, are working for each other, um, are listening to each other, and, and as you said, it's on the job. Those trust is formed and earned over time. You can't um, you can't wave a magic wand and do a do a was it trustfuls? <laughs> um, yeah, because you might catch me there. But I, how, how do I know that you're gonna um, you're gonna be there to help me when I've when I've made a mistake at work um, and I'm feeling vulnerable and I need someone to step in and help me? That's that's a whole different. Um, a whole different experience or um, how can I trust that you're going to look after my my workload in, in three months time because um, again it take, takes three seconds to catch someone but a lot longer to to really support someone over a long period of time so um, I'm sure those those afternoons are great there's probably lots of laughter and uh, lots of good shared experience which you'll probably take 
with a bit of energy into the next meeting. But that's not where trust is going to be won or lost, I feel, over the course of that team's life cycle. Um, I have found the quote for you. Um, It was uh, John uh, Amici um, saying, yeah, teaming is a perpetual state of calculated selflessness. Um, Yeah, and I do really like that, this idea. And I I come back to a little bit there. You know, I talked, I joked that it would be the the CEO and the secretary there. Mm. But um, do we need 360 trust then? or 360 uh, kind of um, responsibility within the team. Everyone's responsible to each other because, you know, going back to my model, which, I, you know, I'm against, but it's ingrained in me somewhere, <laughs> uh, this idea of the leader, if I am going to be um, delegating tasks, doing that kind of uh, agency-led um, style of teamwork, um, I, I need to trust the team as much as they trust me, right? Mm. And that, that's uh, one of the kind of pillars of the research I've been looking at talks about the mutual accountability within the team so that the team, um, the, the team are trusted to kind of work, um, work in, in the way that's effective for them. But, but also they, they understand that they're accountable to each other um, and they're not just doing things because the leader told them to do it. They're doing things because they know it works for, for each of the other team members. Um, so that, that's really vital. And I think one and it kind of links, I won't spoil it now, but that links to the, the idea of the team team debriefs research, that actually you can foster a really open, candid culture within your team by evaluating what you're doing as a team and make it really, really safe um, uh, so that you can boost the standards of the team but still talk about it in a really trusting, open sense. And I think for me that that really builds that peer-to-peer trust within the team. Um, so then you could, we, even without the leader being present, they would still trust each other to work together because they're used to, it's a norm. It's a normal part of the team life for them is to break down how the team is performing together and what they can do to improve. And when you normalize that and say, look, we will, we will make mistakes. Some things we do won't work very well, but every time we'll talk about it and we'll, as a team, we'll all contribute to the ideas to how to fix that. And that's fine. And, and, um, in the words of Amy Edmondson, decoupled fear and failure. Um, and I think when you when you make those things part of the normal aspect of team life, everyone is much more trusting of one another um, and is not just following one kind of uh, diktat from the leader. Um, now, we've had another message in, and I'm sorry, um, whoever it is, oh, there they are. Um, it, oh, it's Nikki Parr. Um, sorry, I, I was just reading through there. I was just about to say, you can, you know, if message us in, and I'll give you a shout out, the usernames don't always marry up. Um, so uh, sometimes you have it. And they've just said, um, I think trust can only be built over time in small actions and attitudes, so easy for trust to be lost. Mm. Now, I, I'm going to, you know, put a kind of little bit on the spot here, uh, Sam, and say mm. that um, you can, in theory, right run a team through fear and um authoritarianism Mm -hmm. these things are possible and Mm -hmm. they have existed Mm -hmm. in workplaces before Mm -hmm. and i'm sure that they still do in some you know unfortunate places that they they exist so within that then why try and do it the other way? Does the research back up that it is more effective not to, you know, be the authoritarian Victorian schoolmaster head teacher, <laughs> you know, or is it that our our kind of liberal um, attitudes now mean that we're we're just trying it a different way and that doesn't suit as well? 
I suppose it comes down to what your aim is for your team, doesn't it? Is your if your aim is to meet like a certain I don't know level of sales quota or um, or income generation, and there's a really tangible bit of data, um, I'm sure you can work people to the ground to chase these targets um, and incentivize them in other ways. Um, but if our aim is to create really healthy cultures where we've got happy children, safe children, happy staff, staff who are learning, um, and that's what we value and that's what we aim for, then then obviously that wouldn't be the right the right model. There's no doubt, yeah, there's lots of examples in history, aren't there, of people, authoritarians, um, commanding very, very successful regimes, but the the toll and the cost on on the people's well-being and, and sense of self is huge. And also those those don't tend to last either. Um, they tend to, to work in a kind of in a spurt of energy, you know, drive towards the. Um, it's a bit like when Jose Mourinho takes over football clubs, and his his particular style often uh, creates a short term infusion of energy and results, but actually it doesn't necessarily foster everyone for the long term. So I think if we truly want the children that we look after and the teams that we look after to be kind of loving coming to work, feel like they're really thriving, but also be in it for the long haul, they will benefit in the long term and grow as people and team members from from doing it the way that I think we both we both would share. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I reflect on my my last role. I changed roles this year, but I reflect on my last role um, where I um, was seconded in as a deputy head to a school that was um, not doing so well. Mm. And one of the only questions that I cared about on talking to the head teacher, and, and this was brutal because this is the way education works sometimes, but they, they, they said um, I had to take the job without knowing what the school was. Um, oh. that, 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 that tells you something about what I was getting myself into. And also they wanted me to take it without meeting the head teacher. And I said that I wouldn't do that. I wanted to meet him. And I wanted to ask him one thing. And the, 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 the only thing that I really cared about was whether the, the, the plan was to turn the school around with the existing staff or whether the, the school was to do a thing that sometimes people talk about, which is about getting people on and off a bus. Mm. Um, and, and whether that, you know they were going to use that model of effectively getting rid of all the teachers getting some different ones in and now whoop de doo the school is is good or outstanding yeah. but those things still exist within education mm. and 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 schools are still using them um and i don't know do we have a persuasive argument that that isn't the way to go beyond you know it's it's better it's it's better for staff in the end that we would hope these teams perform well or are we measuring our teams on where the the team members go like you said before that you know maybe we would be looking to develop them and I should be measuring my team's success on how many head teachers come out of my team if you see what I mean you know as they develop through yeah it's a a really interesting point and I'm sure there are lots of um, lots of successful schools across the country who run with that kind of model and it's probably quite a severe atmosphere there. And there might be some benefits to working there. That that sounds like the kind of school that might also have quite strong behaviour uh, routines and culture and that sort of thing. So it might be that, that even though it's authoritarian, that the that the staff enjoy some aspects of working there. Um, but what the research that I've, I've found, and my own kind of values as well, is that the people tend to react really, really well from um, a shared sense of purpose and some really specific goals that they will buy into. And um, uh, I just don't think that model kind of creates that. Um, and and what can you truly sustain through fear? 
um, and anxiety of, of not quite knowing whether you fit the brief for the school. Um, again, I don't think that's going to work long term. And you're probably going to have quite a high staff turnover, which might be, which might work. I mean, um, Watford sacked their football manager every few months. That seems to work for them. But, um, <laughs> but actually, again, if you're thinking about your legacy and what you're creating, a really thriving community, and I'm in it for community, really, then then that's that's not going to be conducive to that. Um, you have segued us perfectly, and thank you, onto your second blog post, which was about purpose and goals and talking mm. about how we do that. Now, I will say that to a lesser or greater extent, um, with less or a greater effect, depending on how much uh, you know, it was actually bought into, every team I've been in has done whether um, lip service or, or at a deeper level – We've done that bit where at the start we've got together and we've developed, a, you know, a, a vision and values and, and, and all of those those things. Um, but you looked a little bit deeper at it. Yeah. And I, when I first um, was thinking about this post, I was thinking, God, this is not the sexiest aspect of, of talking about teams, <laughs> is it? Because as you say, everyone is used to looking at a team's vision or purpose and setting targets. So we all do it all the time. So I knew it was never going to be one that maybe the, the title of it would like light fires for people. But again, I was really driven by the research and the studies that I was looking at about how vital um, creating of really, well, the, a lot of the research calls it a compelling direction for the team. Um, teams that have a compelling direction tend to perform and uh, really, really well, have staff who are really, really um, kind of have bought into the vision um, as well as teams that have very, very specific, tangible goals. Um, and when I say goals, I mean that the team performance goals, um, not just, uh, you know, things that might reward individuals within the team. So it was a really interesting thing to read about. And, and I used, I kind of dipped into a lot of the academic research, but also went back to my old fave, the culture code again for this one, um, because that's what he really, what Daniel Core really looks at in the culture code. Uh, and he, he, this is great. I've, I've mentioned it in the blog. This is a great uh, scene where he describes when you walk into certain buildings, like the, the Disney Pixar building, and there's these huge, you know, life-size uh, sort of models, statues of, of the famous characters. Or you walk into as a military base, and they've got huge um, bits of like flags or massive bits of shrapnel to show why they fight for their country. Um, and he uses this great um, this great phrase. You should communicate purpose about as subtly as a punch on the nose. Um, and I think in schools, I mean, it's probably there's probably a variety of, of, of effective teams out there. But I think we're often, we talked earlier about teams within the team. So I, I might be a member of this team in this team and this team within my school. And those teams normally have really specific remits, don't they? Like if I'm a member of um, the, or you said you remember the key stage one team or the year one team, sorry, then you'll be looking at the specific things that, the, that you need to work on to help the year one students. And if I'm working on um, the literacy team, I'll be looking at the specific aspects of improving literacy across, the, across all the year groups. But I think sometimes when we are working in such specific teams in schools, we often then forget to talk about the purpose and the direction of the team because it's almost assumed you know what you're doing because it's implied from the name of the team that you're in. Um, and I think that's where we, we could do a bit more work to improve them. Um, and 
another part you talk about within it is is clarity of role of mm. you know who's doing what within the team and what's expected of them mm. now in my experience i think some of that in school sometimes is a little bit woolly sometimes around who does what who's responsible for which parts and where the you know sort of specific tasks or expectations fall and that can cause friction and breakdown so why you know beyond that how how important is that clarity of who is doing what within the team or do we need flexibility? Because, you know, I'm torn there. Is it, you know, am I straightjacketing people or am I giving them that flexibility to be adaptable? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Certainly the research, and obviously the research I've looked at encompasses lots of different sectors, but the research really um, is a proponent of specific role clarity so that people can um, put their full energy into their specific role, take pride in what they're contributing to the team because they've got clarity over what they're doing. They uh, have a lack of um, uh, ambiguity about what they're supposed to be doing or how they might overlap with someone else, which is important um, because overlapping with someone else can cause um, some sort of hesitation and a little bit of kind of political edge sometimes. Um, And then finally, when the team is evaluating how successfully a day or a project um, or an outcome has gone, um, then having the role clarity allows you to to go back in and, and work out what happened along the way um but so that's what the research says more generally but but you're absolutely right that in in a in a school team we often we're covering gaps aren't we all the time and mm. we're reacting very quickly and um as i say in one of the blog posts we we might be a member of like three or four different teams we're not doing those things most of the time we're in a classroom and then we have to fit in what we do in our other teams separately at other points in the day. So it's not always that simple, is it, to say, right, I'm, in this team, I do this. Because if there's an urgent thing that comes up within your team, then someone else might have to might have to fill in. Um, and that actually links to a blog that I am yet to write, so I won't say too much about it now, but about shared mental models, um, which really comes through the research as well. So, yes, it's important to have some role clarity, but the team really benefits from shared mental models, i.e. That when, the, when everyone in the team understands what the other people in the team do and how it contributes to the overall team goal, you, you, you shortcut a lot of the kind of ambiguity about what's going on in the team. Um, so I won't say too much about that now because I'm currently reading some research on it for a future post. Um, does that, do I, have I answered your question there? Have I kind of um, gone off on a tangent? Yeah. Uh, tangents are what we're all about in a moment someone will, <laughs> someone will text in another question we'll go off on another beautiful tangent <laughs> about things that's why it's live you know and uh, so we have done uh, two of the blog posts there the one that really caught my eye um took us on to um you talking about psychological safety um within a team and i don't know what it was about this that that, that kind of um piqued my interest but certainly um I have worked in places where, you know, there, there, there is a fear. It is stifling, for want of mm. a better word. You know, it, it is almost getting in the way, the worry of getting things right or the worry of, um, you know, what, what, what managers or leaders w- would do. Um, and, and so you took the time to, to talk about psychological um, safety within a team and the benefits of it. Mm. And this this goes right back to staff well-being, I think, doesn't it? And, and what we what we often talk about in education a lot about staff well-being and how people thrive and flourish at work. And 
when I was doing the staff wellbeing research project a few years back that I mentioned, one of the models that I really loved and when I stumbled across it um, was self-determination theory, um, which is a which is like a, a needs model, which suggests that to kind of thrive, if we use an example at work, there are three kind of pillars to us being able to thrive under self-determination theory. That one, we feel a sense of autonomy. So we have some autonomy over what we do um, and some agency about how we do our work. Um, the second one is competence. So we feel we feel like we know what we're doing. We achieve things and we succeed. Um, and we're given some recognition from, for that. And the final one is relatedness, which means we have uh, good relationships with our with our colleagues. Um, although actually there's, there's some, there's some uh, research out there as well that shows that um, for teachers and educators, relatedness is almost more important for your relationship with the students than it is for the colleagues as well. Um, so I found that a really, really empowering model because it was it basically said that a lot of staff well-being at schools and, and workplaces boils down to if you if you can connect with those three areas of your needs um, as, as primary needs. So then um, a year or so later, I discovered Amy Edmondson's work on psychological safety, and she is just phenomenal. Um, so she's written loads of papers over the years, but um, the book that I used from from her is called The Fearless Organization. Um, that's an entire book dedicated to psychological safety and, and, and the real nitty gritty about how you develop it. So I would recommend any any leader buy and read The Fearless Organization. It's fantastic. And it's based on like sort of 20 years of her research. Um, and she, she talks throughout the book about how psychological safety is not, it's not like a nice to have, you know, it's a bit like the biscuits at break time thing we talked about earlier on. It's not like a, oh, it's really great that everyone feels safe in your workplace. She she argues that that her studies show it's really essential to for a team to perform well and to flourish is to feel psychologically safe, um, and that needs to come to in, to build trust, which we talked about earlier, to share values, to be candid, to manage conflict, um, and and the phrase I used earlier on that she uses really well is decoupling fear and failure, so that those two things are not not equated together. Um, at all so it was honestly I'm glad you liked that one because it was my favorite one so far to research and talk to people about um, and you know I think we've all we've all hopefully sat in a team meeting before or, or looked forward to going to a team meeting where we know we can sit down with this group we can say anything we can do anything and there's this implied support among each other it's really um, it's really empowering it's really energizing to think I'm totally accepted on this team and I'm safe within the team, and I could I can try this, and if it doesn't work, they've got my back. Um, and if the team doesn't perform well together, we will openly discuss it and 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 talk about it and, and come up with a solution together. I mean, I love working in teams like that, and I think. But now there's there's lots of studies that show that that is beneficial for the team, and not just a, uh, a thumbs up. We're all having a nice time. Um, and oh, um, just a text coming in there. Oh, I think it's Nikki again, just saying, great show. Uh, listen to the end later. Favorite leadership team building book, Brené Brown's Dare to Lead. Yes. Uh, um, have you read that one? Yeah, I have. Yeah. In fact, I haven't done a blog on that one because I read it before my blog started and I was just too lazy to, to backdate it. Um, I did the same thing with Atomic Habits. But yeah, no, um, Brené Brown's absolutely phenomenal, amazing speaker and writer. Um, and uh, I've, I've shared some of her work with, with some of my teams at school before. She's, she's just wonderful. So, yeah, thanks, uh, Nikki. That's a really good shout. 
and they've just messaged you and saying, please blog about it. So obviously, oh, wow. you know, you're <laughs> getting, to my to -do list. <laughs> getting, getting requests now um, <laughs> live on air. We're getting requests for blog posts. Um, and, it, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it does make me laugh. Like, obviously, we've talked a little bit about the fact when we started about you doing blogs. And I, I do talk about, like, because I see what we do on TT Radio. I see this very much as a blog, in a sense, mm, but it's just mm. an audio blog, and I get to discuss, and we get to do it live. Um, now, we were talking a little bit about psychological safety there, and I wanted to, to, to transition between that and, and the post about debriefs, mm. only in the sense that, um, for me, the psychological safety bit, the bit where I think it, it sometimes gets undermined, is uh, we sometimes people misuse the word candor, or they take the wrong thing away from candor and mm. radical candor and being candid. They maybe take away the wrong parts of it. And also, sometimes I don't like the word accountability. Mm. Mm. And the reason I don't like the word accountability is not because I don't want to be accountable for it, but it's often I feel it gets used in a, a negative way. And so you talk about debriefs and the importance of them. I will start off by saying I, I think that is, is a bold move of a school. I think that you've got a hard sell because one of the things you do mention is it's, it, it takes time. It's a time commitment to do a debrief or a team debrief. So why is it important? Well, I think it's a, it's a bit like, so for example, um, I lead a head of year team. And they are a phenomenal team, absolutely delightful. They work so hard, you know, lots of shared stuff going on. And we obviously have quite a big agenda list every time we meet. And actually, we they've agreed that um, we meet once a fortnight before school and I bring a load of refreshments in. And it'd be really easy to sit and just talk about uh, the uniform policy and attendance and all those kind of logistical day-to-day -day things. Um, and we do obviously cover those across our time together. But for me, I want this team to really grow and thrive. So we start every meeting by reviewing um, a chapter or two chapters of a book that I've given out um, two weeks prior for them to have a read. Um, and we've now actually just transitioned that into them. They've chosen their own books, which we've bought for them. And they're now on a road to sharing their own. So you, you could argue that actually that 10 or 15 or 20 minutes we spend talking about books and how we can learn together as a team, you could argue that that is not helping to improve the core mission of the head of year team, which is to you know, really get on top of the pastoral life of the school. Um, but I, th I see it as an investment of time and knowledge so that everyone is growing together and that in turn helps them feel more energized about their work as a team and more upskilled. So I think team debriefs is a similar, is a similar idea. Um, do you always feel like you have time to review something that you did as a team? Well, maybe not because there's so much else demanding our time. But but would that 10 or 15 minutes invested be the right thing for the team? Well, often, yes, it would. And there's lots of reasons for that. It's not just it's not just about can we make that process better for next time? Obviously, that's that's the that's the ultimate goal. Um, but having a really well managed team debrief actually helps staff uh, in the team. It helps their trust increase in the team. Um, it helps their confidence grow as a person within the team. Um, and that's vital too. So it's not just about improving what you were doing. It's actually, it kind of helps galvanize the team for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that you do. And, and it also helps to normalize what we were just talking about with psychological safety, that um, it's okay to say in a team debrief, well, I didn't really know what to do there. 
or um, can someone else give me a bit of input because I wasn't sure about that? And it normalizes those ideas of asking for help and sharing strengths and weaknesses. So, um, yeah, you could absolutely argue that there's not enough uh, hours in the day for a, for a team debrief or to, to read some books together. But actually, for me, that investment of time pays off in many, many other ways, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you you know you give some uh, sort of real world examples. You know the the the, the football team uh, one that you start with. You also talk about some of the kind of military uh, models where in other industries this is standard practice, and but but it's not in education necessarily. Absolutely. Well, there are some obviously in the in the, in the military and the emergency services. Then um, they they view their debriefs as vital to to minimize loss of life or suffering for the next for the next emergency or for the next mission so for them it's 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 vital that they, they get that right for a, an elite sports team who have got millions of pounds on the line and, and lots of you know demanding shareholders and fans it's vital that they fix the problem going into their next um their next match um but also i think there's been a lot of research over the last sort of 20 years about you've probably heard about um, the huge number of accidents that happen on airlines because the co-pilot was too afraid to speak up mm-hmm. um, or people that have died or suffered further injury in a, in a, in a um, operating theatre because the other doctors or nurses were too afraid to overrule the, the, the doctor or surgeon who was about to make a mistake. Um, so you can, you can learn so much from an effective debrief, um, but it has to be done within the context of that kind of trusting psychologically safe team and to but then it can be really really effective and i think schools schools should be the same we want to review what we do um as much as possible because you know the children get one go at education and if we can find a way to make gains so their experience is better then then it's absolutely worth reviewing um what we do and that could be about big things or small things it could be about the way that you lined up the children for an assembly that morning um or it could be how your pastoral curriculum project has gone so far when it's been evaluated by form tutors you know um but i think normalizing that conversation so it's safe and purposeful within the team um has has huge benefits and i think your team members are more likely to go to each other and ask for feedback on other things outside of that debrief time if you've established that, that really safe purposeful environment in those in that context um, and I, I wanted to ask about that as well is feedback again a, a word that I, I hate in a way mm. um, because of its negative uses but it would be my experience uh, that that doing this whilst the, you know the first time and building that trust and but over time the more you do it it, it becomes more important bedded maybe is the right word or it becomes more accepted and it, it feels safer that you're able mm. to kind of move forward with it and bring uh more things things that maybe you were afraid to talk about before you, mm. you can bring them to the table because there is that element of trust and psychological safety that you say mm. and i think we we probably trained in an era where there were lots of lesson observations you know there was lots of accountable lesson observations that maybe they were graded so we might associate feedback with getting um, literally feedback after school about our lesson observation earlier in the day. You know, it's, it's this event that takes place. We are meeting to give to have feedback. Um, so that obviously can, can be a bit intimidating um, and it's, it's cast as a one-off event. But I think if you normalise feedback within what the team's doing all the time, 
then it doesn't feel like this kind of scary event that has been been put in the put in the diary that you're you're anticipating um and and so therefore we we can kind of make it a norm of the team to give each other feedback because we're all working on the same goals we've all admitted our strengths and weaknesses and that that's one of the things that, that, that Amy Edmondson talks about she says that leaders and team members should be don't knowers um whereby they they kind of admit what they don't know and they ask for help and they um they have humility about the way that they work and i think if um if the team has that then then giving to each other feedback is safer anyway because none of us are in the team are living under this pretense that we know everything or that we're perfect um so feedback is kind of di- given and taken in, in a really kind of healthy spirit and i think that is important at you know for me at all levels as well because you know, and I, I remember being a leader very much before I was a teacher. I was um, working in outdoor education, as I say, and I would have, um, I was not a, a very high level canoeer at the time, but I would have people who were, who mm. were working beneath me. But uh, again, I guess because we knew our roles and the expectations, I like a 360 feedback. I like mm. that when, you know, because I am playing my part for the team even though I might be designated leader, I'm playing my part as much as the teaching assistant is is playing their part. And so is there room for that 360 feedback within these debriefs then? Yeah, I think so. We, we talked uh, earlier on, didn't we, about um, how I was kind of writing the blog posts to, to help people grow as teams and team members and not necessarily focusing on the leader. But I think the leader does have a vital role to play in a team debrief. Um, for example, if you are reviewing something that your team has done and you're the leader and you're, you're asking for feedback, if every bit of feedback you get, you have a slightly defensive reaction to that, then what you're modeling to the rest of the team is that you need to make an excuse or you need to brush something away um, when, when you get the feedback. Um, or if you look really awkward and um, kind of, you know, uneasy about the feedback you're getting then that also models to the team that this is not um, something that you're welcoming um, so I think the, the team leader establishes the culture um, for how feedback is accepted and, and then um, discussed among the team so therefore if, if the team leader models that really effectively then hopefully those those organic and those 360 type conversations between people will become more natural because you've set the tone as leader about how that could be conducted and how you you give and receive feedback um but i'm, I'm with you all the way there and um the, the problem is i think when you're we've all got so much to do and when you sit in front of a team and ask them for their genuine honest feedback it's inevitably going to add to your workload um so i think there's a temptation your your human nature is thinking oh please please don't give me too much that's going to sidetrack me from what i thought i was going to be doing or um, I've already invested this much time on it so far. I hope no one says anything about this. Um, so I think sometimes people can be reluctant to lead a team debrief in that way because it might add to their workload or take them down a different path than they anticipated. Um, so it's about being flexible enough to realise that if that's what's if that's the findings from 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 your process, then then that's more important than how you felt about it necessarily. 
Brilliant. I do. I really like that. Um, now we have to pop to an ad break, the news, our two minute tech. And then when we come back on the other side, um, you know, everyone's got time to have a quick sip of their tea. Should be about five, five to seven minutes. Um, I've got a few leadership um, and sorry, teamwork. I keep, see, I keep slipping into it. A few teamwork <laughs> quotes that people have tweeted to me that I wanted to run past you, see what you thought. Okay. And we'll tie everything up. Um, so I will see you on the other side. Um, listeners, don't forget you can text in uh, any questions you have for us we are off to the ads and the news this episode of teachers talk radio has been made possible with support from witherslack group the uk's leading provider of sen education and care They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. The Prime Minister announced last week that pupils in England no longer needed to wear face coverings in class. And this rule is to be extended to cover school communal areas next week. Boris Johnson is now urging all teachers to follow the rules after some resistance. A spokesman for the Prime Minister said, 
children have been one of the hardest hit as a result of the disruption throughout the pandemic. And Mr Johnson believes it is vital that children are receiving face-to-face -face education and can enjoy a normal experience in the classroom. We've been clear that we removed the requirements for face masks to be worn in classrooms and we will remove advice for face masks to be worn in communal areas from January the 27th. The Prime Minister thinks schools should follow the latest guidelines. Pupils who attend John Fletcher of Maidley Primary School in Telford have taken part in activities which are aimed at helping pupils understand about saving energy and reducing their carbon footprint. The activities were coordinated by Telford and Recon Council and March's Energy Agency. Councillor Richard Overton said, Improving energy efficiency is extremely important for households across the borough and can help to lower utility bills, create jobs and stabilise gas and electricity prices. Parent Mrs Pemberton said, We immediately noticed the impact of this session. Conversations at home as a consequence of this presentation have suggested we turn the heating down and wear jumpers and asking whether we really need the lights on and switching these off. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we're going to take a look at teaching online. Marmite comes to mind when I think about teaching online. I actually like it, but it's my job and I'm surrounded by gadgets to assist me. A lot of teachers hate it. If you think about it, for 90% of the current population of teachers, delivering a lesson online is something they've not even been trained in. They signed up to be in the classroom with a group of pupils. I'm not going to go into the depths of the delivery platform. That's normally a choice that's already made for you by technology leaders in schools. I'm going to give you a couple of free tools that work in a browser so don't need installing and can be used for engagements in the classroom and easily adapted to use online. First up, we all love Kahoot. Did you know you can set a Kahoot to be self-paced rather than live? Simply click the assign button and you have an instant self-paced quiz for a homework, a starter or a progress check. If you need to take it online, share the link and off you go. If you use lots of YouTube clips and websites, check out Wakelet. Share collections of links in a meaningful way for free. My favourite use for this is to group my YouTube clips for topics. Not only are they played back with less distractions, but I can share a group of links for revision or to flip a lesson. Again, if I have to teach online, one link can lead to many. Just remember to check your school's policy on using websites such as YouTube for online teaching. If you have access to devices in the classroom, why not try Mentimeter? Create interactive presentations, take votes or build word clouds from participants' answers to improve engagement, assess learning and inspire discussion. Or, if you love whiteboard, try whiteboard.fi. As a teacher, you can see all your class's whiteboards and answers, know who's interacting and who's not. You can even show a QR code for ease of joining. I could go on and on. 
The idea is to test these things out when you're with your class and there's no pressure. Then, should you need to teach online, you'll feel more comfortable, there'll be fewer issues, and most importantly, you'll see if pupils are engaging. I hope you consider bringing a bit of tech into your classroom. As always, please test things work in your setting before you use them. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea. Um, we are talking teamwork with uh, Deputy Head Teacher and Blogger Sam Chrome um, and his blog uh, pocketwisdom.blog uh, looking at the research behind high-performing teams. Welcome back, Sam. Hi, Nathan. Thank you. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I've noticed someone's come into the studio with a similar last name to you. Can you see that? Yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah that's Joanna. That's my wife. She, I talked about her earlier on as a being uh, one of the reasons, I, well, the, the main reason why I went into teaching. And actually, she now works for kind of a very large, successful uh, teacher training uh, skits kind of uh, teaching school in, in Surrey as well. Oh, fabulous. Well, hello, Joanna. Uh, welcome uh, Teacher Talk Radio. Um, now, I wanted to put you on the spot here just a little bit, Sam, and I ask keep you. doing that, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, do you have any favourite teamwork quotes or leadership quotes? Do you have one that sticks around for you? Um, the one it's a re- you've probably heard this one before, but it's um, you know the uh, uh, Admiral William McRaven. Have you ever heard of his book Make Your Bed? No. Oh wait, no, I do. I think I do. See, this is where my memory is terrible. Um, but go on. Yeah. So his his book, and it's he actually bases that on a on a speech he gives to um, some uh, people graduating from I think like the Navy SEAL school. Um, and he just talks about if you want to have a successful um, successful day, get up and, and make your bed in the morning. And that's not what he bases the whole book on. But it's, all, it's kind of a metaphor for always being prepared and doing one thing, like ticking one thing off your list. And then that kind of creates a snowball effect for more and more things. Um, it's, a really, it's a really short, bite-sized book, actually. A great book on leadership called Make Your Bed. Um, but I don't really have any other any other sound bites. Actually, I tend to, as you know, as you, uh, from the density of my blogs, that I tend to waffle on a bit longer than uh, than a single <laughs> a single uh, quote. Okay, so I'm going to put a couple in front of you now. My one, and I have no idea why I love this quote because it's right. terrible and it's not at all what I think about leadership. But I really like the um, lead, follow, or get out the way. <laughs> what are your feelings on that? I have said it's not my leadership. Who's that addressed Patton, to? General, general, it's Patton, one of the, someone like that. An Ameri- I think it's American general. Um, but yeah, lead, follow, or get out the way. So is that like, like an, an imperative command for the, the team leaders or the team the, members? For, well, for the team members, I think, or just for your staff. Right, guys, either lead, follow, or get out the way. And I don't oh, okay, know why I see. I like okay, it. so I understand that. Yeah, so you either you're you're in a leadership role and you're leading people. You're following a you're following a set of purpose and goals as a follower. Or if you're not willing to do either of those things, and then off your hop, sort of thing. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why it sticks. Maybe it's that um, try thing, you know, where it's like free things you you remember it better. Um, but that one has always stuck with me. And but unfortunately, not at all what I think about um, leadership. But it's always the first one off my tongue. And so, a terrible question for me to face in interview. Here's one that's <laughs> been text text in for us. Oh yeah, we'll see if you like this one. Um, um, leaders become great not because of their power over others, but their ability to empower others. Yeah, oh, definitely. That that's a really nice one, isn't it? I think it's um, what one of the fundamental jobs of of the leader, apart from the success of the organisation, is that is is growing others so that they can also become leaders and they can, and that's how you impact the most number of people, isn't it? If you, as a leader, if you grow and empower other leaders, they'll go and do the same thing for others, and then you've got this kind of great legacy of a domino effect of really um, great leaders who are who are helping lots of other people. Um, so yeah, empowering empowering your staff, I think, is is the most important role of a, of a leader in that respect. Um, otherwise, you'll finish your leadership position and, and off you go into the sunset and you haven't actually grown or empowered anyone else below you. And then where's the where's the benefit for the, the place that you're, you're leaving and kind of hanging your hat? Okay, here's, here's my next one. And, oh, yeah. and this one's more about teamwork. Um, think a hundred times before you take a decision, but once that decision is taken, stand by it as one man. Mm, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, I certainly agree with the idea of putting lots of thought into something before you before you act. Um, it can be really easy when you're busy, can't it, to just act act quickly and without thinking through everything. Um, and I, I also believe in in if you're if you've put your conviction in that decision, then you should stand by it for sure. Um, but equally, the only the only maybe I'm just my English teacher brain is inferring too much into the quote, but. Um, I don't think it's a good idea to to pursue a decision that you've made if it's clearly not the right one. Um, and you, the, the, a leader has to be humble enough to say, "Look, that was a decision we made, and it didn't work. Um, and and we're we're going to go on a different uh, different track." So I think that's a really important quality of a leader as well to say when something hasn't worked and to show that humility to your team that you don't know everything, not everything works, and um, you might have put a lot of thought into that decision, but on this occasion it didn't work, and we're going to going to try something different. And I, I will say one of my favourite things that I would, you know, um, that I ever did as a staff team, and I don't, I have no benefit to this as how beneficial it was. But what mm. we did was we took a bunch of quotes about, you know, stuff like that, um, and, and we we tore them apart like that, and it was an amazing. Uh, way to find out about people's thoughts about what we should be doing and where it should be going. And I, I did really like. I'm a big fan of a quote like that. Mm, I think that's a really good kind of away day idea, isn't it? In terms of if we're if we're coming together to reaffirm what our purpose and our vision is as a as a group or an organisation, then then using that framework of other other quotes or or values um, and and exploring why that one might work for us as a team, but that aspect of it doesn't, and that it might really help you kind of realign how you feel about your own um, purpose and vision. Okay, so um, I did say at the end, we'd leave it till the end, but I wanted to find out just, you know, some spoilers, maybe <laughs> about where the where the where the blog's going next. So, so far, we've had what is a team, we've had um, the, the setting targets, we've had the psychological, uh, psychological safety, we've had debriefs, mm. what, what are you thinking about at the moment? Or what have you got in the pipeline? So the next one, um, I haven't actually started writing it yet, I've only been researching it, is, is actually, it builds on team debriefs and psychological safety. It's actually about candor and communication and managing conflict. Um, so I'll be leaning heavily on the work of um, Kim Scott in Radical Candor, 
um, and thanks for the feedback, as well as some academic research about um, how you manage communication and conflict within teams to make it really purposeful and, uh, and positive as well. So that's, that's probably going to be the next one. Um, future blog posts after that will look a little bit at um, shared mental models, which, which I talked about earlier on, mm. and how to make sure that the team shares enough knowledge to, to make sure that everyone can understand what's going on in different areas of the team. Um, and one that I've, I haven't planned yet, but I quite like looking at it, is um, traits of an unhealthy team. Um, and kind of flipping it around a bit and, and going, what are some classic characteristics of teams that may appear to work, but actually have something um, a little bit more toxic or unproductive lurking beneath the surface? Oh, I love that. No, I like, so, I, you know, I'm really interested in the next one, the candor um, element of it and, mm-hmm. and dealing with, um, you know, I think sometimes can be, you know, you don't get a lot of training or support and it can be scary um, and, and it can be hard to have hard conversations and they're not necessarily even bad conversations, but, you know, to, sometimes conversations can be hard, can't they? Absolutely. Um, and it always reminds me of um, a section in the culture code where he, uh, Coyle talks about Greg Popovich, who's a, a NBA basketball coach. I think he actually coached the national team at the Olympics this year as well. And um, he's known as being a bit ferocious with his players on, on the, from the outside observers, you know, when they watch him on the side of the court or whatever. Um, but he, when he studied about when Coyle went to look at how he actually worked with his players, um, he did a few things um, that, that kind of helped him give them lots of open feedback all the time and they loved receiving it. So he did things like, I mean, he kept very close physical proximity with them when he was talking to them. But he has this kind of vision of, when he talks to the team, he kind of says, um, we are a special team. We are going to do great things together. And that's why I've got such high expectations of you. Um, he doesn't say exactly like that, but that's what Coyle kind of summarized. Um, and it really works with his teams at this idea that um, I believe in you so much. And that's why I've got these high expectations for you. And that's the same thing that Amy Edmondson talks about in, in the fearless organization that um high standards and psychological safety actually go hand in hand um, and, and, and they work really, really well together to get the, the best out of people. Fantastic. Now, um, I, you know, as I say, very looking forward to it. I will recommend it. You know, I'll say again, pocketwisdom.blog. Um, obviously, you're, you're on Twitter as uh, Mr. Underscore Chrome. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So people can find it there and you do tweet out the links as they come live. So well worth a follow. Um, Takeaways from this, if you had sort of the first step for someone thinking about this or something that you think, you know, what would you hope someone could do if they were listening to this and thinking, yeah, I'm really interested in improving teamwork at our school. Mm. What would be your sort of um, hope for them or or pointer for them to go away with? My invitation to them would be to think, either on your own or maybe if you have a coach, that'd be a really good po- coaching conversation, would be to think, We often when we think of our teams, think about the exact processes that they've got to do. So, oh, my my um, my uh, head of department team, they need to work on their schemes of work and their curriculum at the moment. But my invitation would be to people to think, f- forget the actual tasks themselves at the moment. Have you thought about the way your team works as the dynamic? Have you thought about the way that your team um, communicate with each other and give each other feedback Uh, do people in the team feel safe to take interpersonal risks across the team or is there not enough psychological safety built in so I think 
I'd encourage people to take a break and separate themselves from the daily tasks of their team and think, just step back and think, well, how does my team actually work? Is it a healthy environment? Are the people flourishing in the team? Um, what's motivating them? Have I been clear about my purpose and goals for the team? Um, but, but in the day-to-day melee of all the things we have to do, sometimes that bit gets lost. So that, that's what my hope would be for people that read the blogs or are listening now, is that they step back and take that thought about the way the team runs and the team dynamic itself. Is it what you want from your team? fantastic now thank you so much for coming on it's been it's been an amazing chat actually i you know it is something that as a teamwork and and all of those elements i think is something that is for me under trained in and sometimes we end up you know as we've discussed earlier on importing models from other businesses or sports often um, and, and we don't take enough time discussing it in a in a school based context mm. of what school leadership really is. So mm. it's been it's been absolutely wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you. It's been I've had a lot of fun. I'll have to do it again sometime. And um, yeah, if I can give you some feedback, Nathan, in some in the open sense. <laughs> <laughs> of um, course, I listen to a lot of podcasts on my journey into school every day. So um, podcasts about psychology or coaching or leadership. Um, and so I've I've listened to a, like a a wide array of podcast hosts. Um, I just wanted to say your the way that you've led the the, the discussion has been really great, and I think um, uh, your questions are very, really relevant. And we we've kind of gone off different avenues based on on something that that one of us has said. And I've just uh, really enjoyed the way that you've structured the conversation. So um, yeah, you, should, you, should, you should delve from this into a, into some sort of podcast. Uh, uh series as well <laughs> well you know i will say quick plug for us this will be as you know as soon as i log out it will be saved and people will be able to download it you can listen to tt radio as podcasts on um, itunes and amazon and you can get your alexa if you say to your alexa play teachers talk radio it will play our latest podcasts and our downloads so people wow. will be able to listen to it back thank you so much it, as i say it has been a pleasure and it's you know sometimes these things i, I like to think of teachers talk radio is being very much like a, a staff room conversation when you've got time and a cup of coffee to really you know uh, talk things through so it's been an absolute pleasure um i will say nostar from here in wales that's good night so nostar sam <laughs> nostar indeed thank you very much nathan had a, had a great time Thank you. And uh, Nostar to all our listeners. Don't forget, after me on The Late Show, we've got Alex Wright. And on The Late Late Show, we've got Ed Finch and Toby Paincook tonight. Good night, everyone. Nostar from here in Swansea. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.